Hello, I'm Dave Brisky, and welcome to Brisky Business. It's going to be a really great episode. I happen to have a, a really esteemed executive on the program that we're going to get to in a minute, and she also happens to be a friend of mine as well. So that always makes for very interesting conversation. And in these times of COVID, it's always good to catch up with your friends. So I'm looking forward to, to this uh, episode of Brisky Business very much. As you all know, the uh, goal of the program is to make it your program. So please keep writing me at briskybusiness at ntvusa.com. Briskybusiness at ntvusa.com. And uh, keep writing in your questions, your comments, and we'll keep tailoring this program to you. Of course, if you missed past episodes, you can always catch up on the NTV USA app and download any episode. Believe it or not, we've, we have over 14 shows on there now. So uh, I appreciate all of your support. We have the program broken down into four segments. The first segment is Brisk Business Basics. Then we have Brisk Buy or Bail, which is all about the decision-making process. And then we got Brisk Bulls and Bears, which is a public market area segment. And then Brisk Best and Brightest, which is all about mentorship. So, you know, I'm excited to get this program start. I've got a young lady on the program. She spent half of her 35-year career in the tech sector. Uh, in 1988, she joined Citrix Systems, managing global strategic alliances. In 2001, she was named the first and only, I might add, woman to have the role of managing director North American sales for Citrix Systems, which is nearly a three billion dollar software company. So this lady has obviously done some things. But at age 40, she pivoted. And you know how I like to talk about pivots. And she pivoted by leaving the software business and built a career in the nonprofit world, working for national organizations such as the American Heart Association and, and Leukemia and Lymphoma Society before joining CureSearch for Children's Cancer a little over three years ago. I am so excited to have a key executive in the nonprofit area. We haven't covered this before. And so it is my dear pleasure to welcome Kay Keeler, president and CEO of CureSurgeon to Brisky Business. Kay, welcome to the program. I to speak with you. Oh, I'm so excited to hear about uh, what you're doing with CureSearch and to pluck some of that wisdom out of your, uh, your head of yours that uh, is so interesting because you're the first guest I've really had that has a, a split career. You generally, people get on a path, but in your case, you worked in the traditional business area and then pivoted in a nonprofit. And it'll be fun to learn the differences and the similarities and all of that and gain your perspective. You know, as I said, the first segment is Brisk Business Basic. And you're, um, it's interesting that you have this perspective that we discussed, and you are the first nonprofit executive. Why don't you help enlighten our listeners uh, to the differences between the traditional business and the nonprofit business, uh, because you have such a unique perspective? Yeah, I think one of the things that drew me to the nonprofit sector was the ability to bring that business experience to it. Um, a lot of people start in nonprofit and spend their whole careers there. And while I think that's fabulous, I also think there are a lot of things you learn from being in a for-profit environment that are applicable. So for instance, when you work in nonprofit, you are always looking for partners to do cause marketing. And you're familiar with this, right? The um, Komen Foundation has been key at being able to draw relationships with NFL football and other organizations and everything goes pink, right? right? And so understanding how to read annual reports, understanding how to read the for-profit sector's 
strategic initiatives based on uh, the um, interviews that they're doing, whether it be on Squawk Box or whether in their reporting, it's important to identify ways that your positions can align and to be able to bring value to both organizations. Um, I would say that everything that you do as a CEO and for-profit, you also do as a CEO and nonprofit. Um, I would say sometimes the pace is faster. Uh, you have to be able to pivot more quickly. You don't have the luxury of a big staff because you're stewarding donor dollars um, like they are the most precious uh, commodity on earth and making sure that you're using them to drive the biggest impact. So you've got to move quickly and you've got to keep your board happy, your constituents happy, and make the impact that you're trying to make, which in our case is to drive new drug development for children's cancer. And that's a great, great cause, and I'm anxious to dig more into what you're doing there and what your mission is. But in this segment, let's talk about, I'm sure there's a lot of people, I know you hear about them. Uh, you know, we started a foundation. I think you're aware that, uh, you know, our company has a foundation called Longevity Be the Change. You know, you know, you know my wife, and she's a director of that foundation. And it was a, it's, it's an unbelievable lift. It is a different thing altogether. And uh, it's, not, it's not so simple. And I believe off mic, you and I got chatting about, folks that are out there that you know lots of them that are something goes on in their life and they they're ready to jump in and start a nonprofit for one reason or another can you maybe talk about that a little bit and and what type of advice you might have to folks that are kind of in that situation yes and I think there are two different um, entities that we're talking about today when you talked about your wife really it's around the corporate foundation and driving a social good around an entity that is making uh, profits versus a family foundation where typically someone has been touched with a disease or some kind of tragedy in their lives and wants to use that passion in a positive way. And so I understand the natural incl inclination to want to build something because no one is as passionate as you are. And that is 100% true. I cannot imagine what it is like to have a child with cancer or to lose a child to cancer and funneling that energy, that anger, that grief, that passion into something meaningful, fantastic. The problem is, at least according to the last Forbes stats that I saw, within a few years, over half of those will fail because friends and families initially want to support you, but that tends to wane and your passion tends to become something that a grief process that you just incorporate into your everyday life. And so not having a strategic plan, not having solid leadership, not having the depth and breadth of experience leads half of those businesses, those nonprofits to fail. So I would encourage people instead to look for nonprofits, and there are thousands, that share their values that share their goals and mission, get to build a relationship with them. Because the impact that you can make by funneling your dollars through them, volunteering for them, will have a far greater reach than anything you could do as a, as a small entity. 
You know, that makes so much sense if you think about it. You know, I love the word leverage. And you're basically leveraging off someone else's expense structure. You're leveraging off someone else's experience, right? And you're in using that leverage. And now you can take, you know, this, this, this thing in your heart, right, that's moving you. And you can put 100% focus on making a difference versus now I've jumped into it and I have to run the business. I've got to pay the bills. You know, all those things in a traditional startup business, I'm sure must be mostly present in a nonprofit as well. Yes, no, it's absolutely true. From filing the tax forms that are necessary to building a board that's required to managing fundraising events, which are very complicated, not just logistically, but sponsorship and and all of the all of the levels that are involved in putting an event together, it's it's really a far better use of your time to build a relationship and trust with someone who's already got that infrastructure in place. Yeah, it makes total sense. And uh, I didn't realize the failure rate was that high. I, I, it's probably higher in a traditional business, but you know you don't have the the necessary expense structure. I think probably you know the key point that you hit is impact. Right. Is that's the thing. Can I have an impact on this thing that's moving me? And it sounds to me if you start this thing on your own, you get spread so thin that maybe that impact isn't so well uh, established or, or even able to achieve. No, it's true. And I think a lot of people don't know how to actually determine an organization's impact. So there are multiple things that you need to do. Uh, you need to look at their 990 and see exactly where they're spending their dollars, what research they're funding, if that's what you're looking to have done, uh, who's on their board, who their, um, who their staff structure uh, is bringing into the organization, and then look at things like Charity Navigator and GuideStar are great tools in a whole tool chest of things that you should look at. And then looking at how they're evaluating and determining what, uh, what dollars go there in the organ in driving that kind of impact um you know we do things kind of uniquely because we're focused on drug development quickly so three to five years so there are a lot of organizations that people say oh they fund research and they're well known so you trust that they're going to do the right thing with your dollars and i'm sure they are but that right thing may not be what your interest is so getting to know that organization and saying yeah you know, like CureSearch, not only do they have the top scientists in the world reviewing research, but they also have experts in the pharmaceutical industry saying, yeah, that's great research, but it will never become a drug. You know, for either scientific reasons, it's not going to pass the blood-brain barrier, or strategic reasons within pharma, whatever it may be. It may be great research, but if it's not going to be commercialized, what are you really accomplishing? Publishing a paper? That has value, but for kids who, when they get these cancers, don't, sometimes have a life expectancy of weeks, I can't afford to wait. So we've got to drive drugs quickly, and I think it's a, it, it's a model that has proven itself. I don't know if you know, Dave, but in the cancer space, when you have um, research happening, prior to it going into clinical trial, only 8% of cancer research makes it out of that research lab and actually into a clinical trial. Wow. This that... is why our drug prices are so high, right? It's a ridiculous, like no other business <laughs> could survive on that failure rate. But with us, because of our model, 40% of what we're doing in research makes it into clinical trial. 
Wow. It's phenomenal. So if that's important to you, those are the types of things you need to look for in any organization that you would support. So we're rolling along pretty well, and I would love to kind of delve in to how you go about making decisions. Our, you know, There's a lot about mentorship this program, and they extract different things that really are relatable to certain people. So how do you go about making these buy or bail decisions uh, in your life? Yeah, so it's an interesting process in for-profit versus non-profit. Um, when I was in the tech sector, uh, in the 90s, there was an abundance of cash, right? There was 95% margin on software that we were selling. Uh, we were able to, to do a lot, take as much time as we needed, hire consultants. And to some, you know, to some extent, that still exists in a lot of businesses today. When you're a nonprofit, you're working extremely lean, right? So we, for instance, have a staff of 17 or 18 people. So when I'm making a decision, it's an ROI, cost of goods analysis, just like you would do in business. But instead, I'm looking at that donor's money. So I have people who may be making minimum wage, but have committed on a monthly basis to send me $10 or $50, right? So when I'm making that decision, I'm thinking about that person and saying, how can I make, how can I be the best steward of that hard-earned dollar to make the most impact with it that I possibly can. And so as I'm looking at that, I'm looking at resources for one. So I have my staff and their time is, as you can imagine, extremely limited. There is no such thing as even a 50 hour week in nonprofit. We work a lot of hours. So that time is incredibly valuable to me. Um, I'm also looking at what will the impact be if I leverage those resources? Is it worth it? And do I have volunteer and donor support to make that decision? Because we can't do it alone. So I need to pull and engage my thousands of volunteers around the country, my volunteer board leadership. Uh, I need to engage my donors to say, yes, this is something we can get behind. We're fully supportive of it. And then once I have that, I can make the internal decision you know, as the president and CEO, if this is where we best put our resources and finances to, to make an impact on kids with cancer quickly. Well, and you know what? The last statistic you threw out where 8% of uh, pharmaceutical projects or R&D end up, I guess, a commercialized drug. Yeah. And, you know, the, the folks that you're uh, backing, I guess I would want to say, is up to 40%. I mean, obviously, your buyer bail decisions are working very, very well for you. So uh, mm -hmm. kudos to you. That is uh, very impressive. And I'm sure our listeners are paying attention saying, wow, maybe I might want to take a look at what CureSearch is doing because who wouldn't want to invest in better statistics and help more kids? Uh, so you know, let's let's talk about your past. Let's stay in the nonprofit realm. You were with some pretty amazing nonprofits, so you know, very very large. And somewhere along the way, three years ago, I guess, and I remembered you thinking about retirement, but apparently that didn't work out. So for. Uh, for you very well, that thought process. So you apparently bailed on the idea of retirement, but you did make a buyer bail decision and you bought into Cure Search. Tell me why. Yeah, so I would say that anyone who's thinking about going into a nonprofit organization as a career path, um, going to a large nonprofit as your initial foray into that field is an excellent decision. 
the training from a large organization like Heart or LLS is phenomenal. It will give you the basics you need to be in a successful career. And Dave, I mean, when I was growing up in the 60s and the 70s, I didn't know about therapy. I don't know about you, but it was once a year knocking on doors, collecting for Jerry's kids, right? I mean, that really was all I knew about it was, you know, muscular dystrophy and the telethon and... Trick or uh, treat for UNICEF. <laughs> no, exactly. And so now there are universities with nonprofit management degrees, which is phenomenal. I want people to start thinking about it as a career. And so my path was, you know, having done a little bit of nonprofit five years in the in the 90s, you know, doing events and understanding how to throw, throw together a bike-a-thon and, you know, a, a walk and ball and all of that to moving into running a large, uh, very profitable region where we could invest dollars in research to looking at major gifts and working with the highest net worth individuals in the country to then helping with estate planning, charitable gift annuities, and tax vehicles, um, I think gave me the broad-based knowledge that when this opportunity came along, I was ready to lead it. I was ready to lead it in a way that I hadn't been able to do in a large organization. You mean you didn't start off your career as president and CEO? <laughs> Isn't that interesting how that happens now? I had to pay my dues just like everyone. But but I will say this, Dave, and I think this is really important when we talk about mentorship. As a woman in particular, there were many times where I did not give myself the value to the organization that allowed me to be an advocate for what I was worth. And I think that that's a trap that many of us fall into. And now being on the other side where I'm doing all the hiring decisions, right, I understand that this is a relationship that's valuable and has to work on both sides. And I appreciate when someone advocates for their work, when they can point to what they've accomplished and the value they bring to the organization. And I want to reward people for that. I think so many times we feel like it's one-sided, that the company has all the power and we take roles, I took roles that had more responsibility, brought millions of dollars into an organization, and I wasn't compensated for that. So know your worth and advocate for yourself. Yeah, you know, that's interesting because I'm not sure there's that many people out there. I certainly would have known, especially as a younger person, that, you know, there is a real career path that can be, you know, lucrative, uh, not only financially rewarding. And, you know, I'd like to maybe talk about some of the benefits if someone's thinking about maybe a path like that, but also maybe the emotional currency that probably comes with it as well. Yeah. So I think it depends on how you're built. Um, so there are really two paths you can take in nonprofit. And we think about it as direct service versus systemic change. So direct service would be, I'm the kind of person who, if I see a homeless man, I want to go give him food. If someone needs to learn how to read, I volunteer for the Literacy Coalition and I help them learn to read. I'm more drawn to systemic change, saying how can I look at the global systems that are in place and either reduce barriers or support research or both, as we do at CureSearch, that's going to make a difference in the world. And so depending on who you are and what floats your boat, um, you can look at both of those paths. And I think that most nonprofits now are requiring a college degree. If you have a nonprofit degree, that's fabulous, but liberal arts will serve you very well. 
in this kind of environment. If you like to engage on all cylinders really quickly, this is a great job for you. It's a very fast pace. And the opportunity to, to move around the country, be transferred, to live in different places, the opportunity to grow your skill set, the opportunity to use your creativity, your intellect, your initiative and drive are are really excelled in this at this level in this kind of organization. And the career path can be fast. Um, when you have talent and drive, you can move up quickly in a nonprofit organization and move from one to another, uh, as I have done and, and others have done, to find exactly the right fit for you once you have the knowledge base. Well, that's interesting. And I'm sure I would say there's probably a fallacy out there that the nonprofit world, they almost I've heard people say, well, that's kind of like you're working for like the government, so to speak. You know, there's a lot of red tape. And I think it's anything but that. And so it's great that you remove that obstacle for people to understand, because, you, uh, you know, I love to to move quick and and really have drive. And it sounds like uh, the environment that would be interesting for me. So we've got about a minute and a half. Tell a minute, actually. Uh, tell me what makes CureSearch unique? Oh, I think what makes us unique is the fact that we are, as, as we talked about earlier, driving toward drug development quickly. There are a lot of children's cancer organizations. Some allow you to, to have a free hospitalization stay. Some fund research. We are solely focused on drug development three to five years because our kids can't wait. And so we need to be able to come up with some new alternative for them that doesn't cause congestive heart failure, other cancers as young adults, but leads them to have a long and healthy life. That is a very, very wonderful mission. And uh, it certainly must put an awful lot of pressure on you and your team, knowing <laughs> what is on the line. Uh, for your uh, for the people you're trying to benefit, the young children of CureSearch. So I'm super proud of you. I'm, I'm very, very proud of what you're doing there at CureSearch, and it sounds like you're doing a great job uh, investing the dollars that come in for you in the right causes. So believe it or not, this is going to conclude our uh, segment of Brisk Buyer Bail, and we're going to come back with Kay Keeler in Brisk Bulls and Bears.